You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. We are going to be in Genesis chapter 50, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to finish up, as Clint said, this book today. We started this, it seems like forever ago, right? It's like, man, it's a long, long time. It almost feels like the end of school year. Like, you should bring out your yearbooks. Bring out your Bibles. We'll sign each other's Bibles. Like, COVID's been fun. See you next summer or something, right? Stay cool. Wear your mask. You know, call me on Zoom. Uh, it's been an end of a long season. Um, and it's been inter- Actually, it's only really been 26 weeks since we began this book. But a lot, a lot, bold letters, has changed since before we started this series and now. I mean, who would have ever thought, who would have known uh, six months ago that, that all you parents would have woke up one day and you were, boom, instantly in overalls, homeschool parent, boom, right there. Who would have thought that you could get yelled at for going the wrong way in a Publix, all right? Who would have thought that you'd have to climb fences to get to the beach at Tybee? Not that I would have done that, but if some of you have, clearly... Who'd have held up the gates so my kids could go through? That's another story. I mean, who would have thought that online church, who would have known that online church would have been a thing? I mean, who could have known all this? Well, God knew. God is not surprised. And I look back this week at our first week in this series. We entitled it Meant for Good, and we'll see that verse that we got that from today. Um, but let me, let me quote to you what I said on our first week because you can put the prophetic mantle on me afterwards. But look what I said. Listen to what I said. I said this. Life sometimes smacks you in the mouth. Everything can be going great. Your semester's going great. Your job's going great. Your relationships are going great. Everything's exactly where you want it. And then it falls apart. Prophetic. In that moment, it is easy to blame and say it's not fair and why and ask questions and say, God, why would you allow this? But here's the point of the series, and this is what I kind of open with. Sometimes God allows stuff in our lives that we would never choose in a million years, but that he uses that for our good and for his glory, i.e. meant for good, right? Meant for good. And so this, this series began, if you go all the way back to chapter 25 where we started, it began on a high note. It began with a baby shower, right? Twins, and it ends on a low note. It ends with a mummy. Ends with a funeral. Chapter 25, baby shower. Chapter 50, funeral. And, and really, as I was reading that and thinking about the scope of this series this week, that's, that's our lives. The chapter 25 to 50 of our life is baby shower, birth, a lot of life, funeral. Next, baby shower, a lot of life, funeral. Next. And there's a lot in that, that middle piece that we have seen, but as I kind of read through chapter 50, and what, what showed up was, was themes that have been recurring through our entire, our entire series, in all of chapter 25, and, and I want to highlight to you just three things this morning. As we close out this series, there's nothing new in chapter 50. It's just the conclusion, but there's some themes and some ideas and some reminders that are going to show up in your life, in the chapter 25 to 50 of your life, that are going to keep coming up, and it's something that you keep 
needed to be reminded of. Peter says, I need to stir you up by way of reminder. It's not a problem for me. These are big issues in our lives, things that constantly happen. And I just wanna encourage you with those, challenge you with those, remind you of those as we move on and leave the book of Genesis. And so just three big things uh, in chapter 50 that I wanna highlight. If you're kind of new or you kind of forget where we've been, real quick, you know, 50,000 feet, here's where we've been. Chapter 25, we have twins. Yay, Esau and Jacob. Older is Esau, Jacob's the younger. God says, I choose Jacob. He's the one all my promises are gonna come through. Even though he's a liar and a deceiver and he's shady, which is what his name means. He said, that's my guy. And so he lives up to his name. He steals the birthright from his brother. He steals the blessing from his brother. He has to run away from his brother. God still shows up, gives him all the promises that he made to his dad and his granddad. And so he goes off, he gets himself a wife. Then he picks up three more, not a good choice has 12 boys, has one daughter. Because he plays favorites with his boys, they pick on the one that's the favorite. They end up selling him. They think he's dead. But in the end, as we've seen with Joseph, he saves everybody. He becomes the second in command in Egypt. Everyone's saved. The whole nation of Israel now is living in Egypt. And Jacob, aka Israel, as his name was changed to, last week breathed his last. And we literally, chapter 50, literally picks up right after he breathes his last breath. So let's look at it, verse one. Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants and his physicians to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. 40 days were required for it. But that is how many required for embalming. There's your science lesson. 40 days to be a mummy. And the Egyptians wept for 70 days. And so they make Jacob into a mummy and then they weep for 70 days, which is interesting because when a Pharaoh passed away, you wept for 72 days. So Jacob makes it two days short of a Pharaoh, which shows how much Joseph is honored in the, in the, in the nation of Egypt. And that's significant because at the end of this, when this book ends in the next chapter, you see that that's not as the case. He is no longer honored. But verse four, and when days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the house of Pharaoh saying, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh saying, my father made me swear saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh said, go. So he asked permission to leave, go bury his daddy. It's about a week's journey. He says, go, of course. And so Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, the elders of the land of Egypt. Anyone who is anybody is going to this funeral. It is the largest state funeral in the Old Testament. And they take this week-long journey, all of them, and they head to Canaan. The only people who are left behind are the kids and the flocks, right? Verse nine, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land of Canaanites saw the morning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous morning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Misraim. It is beyond the Jordan. So the Canaanites are like, wow, this was an important guy. I don't know who it was, but he was important. And they renamed the place because of this. And, and the whole reason Jacob, I mean, I, Moses is including this, this whole funeral, is remember, there's been promises about a land but yet they're not in the land, but this is just a reminder. We have a little piece of the land and one day you're gonna get the rest of the land because the original audience is a people, group of people wandering on the, the desert going to the land. So the land is significant. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave at Machpelah, the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. And after he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers 
and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And so that's just a lot of details. This is where the story gets interesting, all right? This is where um, the issues from the past kind of resurface. Old wounds resurfacing. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, uh-oh, that's, that's in the Hebrew. It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. They say, buddies, we got a problem. Family meeting. What if, what if Joseph was just waiting for dad to go and then he's gonna get us? What if he's been playing nice Christian guy for all this time, but he's really not nice Christian guy. He's just waited for dad and now he's gonna smoke us. What if? And they are afraid. They are afraid. And in their fear, they come up with a story they lie, right? Next verse. So they sent a message. They don't even go to him. They sent a DM saying, your father commanded this before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. So basically, they, they send a message to their brother. It says, dad said, don't hurt us. Dad said, be nice. And it's a lie. It's a, it's a, it's, it is a lie. They are lying to their brother. Why? Because they're afraid. And, and ultimately, if you struggle with telling the truth, if, if you are, are, wrestle with truth-telling, your issue is not ultimately with truth-telling. It's actually with fear, right? That's the underlying issue you have to deal with. Why does someone lie? Because they don't want to get caught. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of consequences. Why does someone lie to impress people? Because they want to hide the truth of who they really are or how they feel about themselves. It's a fear of man. Why does someone lie to manipulate to get something that they don't have? Because it's the fear of missing out. Why does someone lie to control? Because it's the fear of the unknown. And so they, they have to control and they have to lie to get what they want. And that's where these guys are at. They don't know the outcome, so they lie. And it shows that even though there's been some growth, they still have some issues, just like we do. And so look at Joseph's response. It says he cried. He wept. He, he cries a lot in this book, by the way. He's always crying. But why is he crying here? Because it's breaking his heart. He knows this is a lie. He was with his daddy when he died. He didn't say that. It's a lie. He's he, he crying because they don't trust him, because they think he is not good, he is not merciful, he's not gracious. He's crying because his family is not what it should be. He's crying that, because despite the fact of all he's done, I mean, they took 22 years of his life away. And even though they did that, he has fed them, he has cared for them, he has never once given them any kind of idea that he would harm them. And he cries because they think that he is like them, that he is out for vengeance. And it breaks his heart. Right. And, and here's the first idea I want us to, to kind of grasp. This is a, a theme that's been throughout the book. It's a theme that's throughout the Bible. It is going to be a theme that is throughout your life in the chapter 25 to 50 of your life that you need to learn to walk in forgiveness. And there's two sides to this coin I want to kind of briefly hit. Right? First is this, it's forgiveness experience. These guys are carrying guilt for something they did 30 years ago. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? They're still, they still feel guilt. And you think, that's crazy. Not as crazy as some of you in here that are still struggling with stuff that you did five years ago, 
10 years ago, 15, you're still guilty. About, you feel shame for something you did 30, 40 years ago. It's the same idea. You still feel condemned like, oh, God's gonna get me. You're just waiting for the other shoe to fall. I did this thing 20 years ago and God's just gonna get me. He's just, I gotta, it's coming, I know. How crazy is that, that some of our mentality is that? If God wanted to get you, he could have done it by now. In fact, he could have done it before you did it because he knew you were gonna do it. So he's like, that guy's gonna do something stupid. I'm just taking him out, gone. But if that's your mentality, you're never gonna have the joy of the Lord as your strength. You're not gonna walk in forgiveness. These guys, forgiveness has already been given. Joseph's forgiven them. And they're still walking in shame, right? It's been granted and they're not experiencing it. And some of us, that may be where you're at. That's why there's so much guilt and this is what I did in high school and this is what I did in college. I was a horrible this, I was a horrible that. Why? What does Paul say in Romans 8? There is therefore now no condemnation. Underline no it's actually emphatic in the Greek text. It's right up front. It says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, the guilt and the shame of your sin has been removed because it has been poured out on Jesus. The wrath that your sin deserved has been poured out on Jesus. So why are you feeling shame? It doesn't mean we just go sin all the more, Paul says, but there's, there is no guilt. It's been removed. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be whiter than snow. Psalmist says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. And it's significant, he says, east and west. Because you do know this, the earth is round. I have to say that because there's a group of people out there that are flat earthers. And I'm like, have you not seen Star Wars? It's round, all right? Okay, the earth is round. And, and if you, if he doesn't say you're, as far as the sins are from the north and the south. Why? Because if you go north, eventually you start going south. You realize that, right? You go to the North Pole, okay, now I keep going, I'm going south. You go south, eventually you get to the South Pole and you come and go north. So there's an actual set distance. But east and west, there's no set distance. If I go east, that's east for you guys, right? Yeah, east for you guys. I can keep going east all day and forever and I keep going east and I just do laps and I'm always going east. And if I go west, I'm always going west. And there's no set distance. There's no measurable distance. They're immeasurable. And they just says, here's your sin. East, west, immeasurable. There's no guilt. And so I wanna encourage some of you. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it was an abortion. Maybe it was some immorality, whatever. If you've put your faith in Christ, if you turn from that, there's no guilt. You don't have to walk around in guilt. You can enjoy the forgiveness God has given you. Because if you don't, you're gonna be like these guys. Look what they do in verse 18. His brothers came and they fall down before him. This is his brothers. They're all bowing down. It's like my dog, when he messes up, he's all, oh, I'm sorry, right? He's, Behold, we're your servants. We'll be your servants, Joseph, don't hurt us. That, that's why his heart is breaking. Because what they're saying is, We'll serve you, just please, please don't harm us. We'll earn your favor, we'll earn your love, we'll make it up to you, we'll pay you back, we're sorry. That's not what Joseph wants. Joseph's got enough servants. Right? But that's what some of you are doing to God. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'll read my Bible extra long tomorrow. I'm so sorry, I'll pray extra. I'm so sorry, I'll be nice. I'm so sorry, oh, I'm so sorry. And, you're, and you're, you're trying to pay God back. How are you gonna pay God back? He's given you his most treasured possession, his only son. You gonna pay him? And even if you could pay him, 
What does God need? You think God, I mean, do you think God needs your tithe? I, you know, I tithe $300 a week. You think God needs your 300? He's short? Oh man, I'm glad they tithe this week because I was short. Does God need your talents? Does God need anything you have? No, but God wants your affection. That's what he wants. He wants your love. He wants you to pay him back. It'd be like if someone give me, someone give me a house, and this is not an idea, but if it's your, you can do it if you want. But if someone gave me a free house at Tybee on the beach and said, here's a house for you, free. Taxes paid for life. Tybee parking sticker, paid for life. Praise God. Um, utilities, paid for life. There's a golf cart. Here's a boat. Here's everything. Food, paid for life. Go enjoy it. Go to the beach. I, if I said, oh, man, I feel bad. Let me give you a hundred bucks. That's just ludicrous, right? That's an insult. A hundred bucks? No, this is a gift. I don't need your hundred. What I want you to do is go to the beach. I want you to get on the boat. I want you to enjoy it and celebrate this. And that's what God has given. He's given you a gift. You don't have to earn the gift. You don't have to pay him back. He just wants your affection, and your love. I mean, that's just dumb. That's as dumb as Adam trying to cover his nakedness with leaves, dumb. Enjoy the forgiveness. Walk in the forgiveness that Christ offers. Don't be afraid. First John says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. If you're afraid of punishment, then you'd be afraid. But if, you, if Jesus has already been punished for you, why are you afraid? Walk in the grace that he has offered. So that's one piece that these guys need. Here's the other piece, right? It's forgiveness given. And this is what Joseph does, right? Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He asked a rhetorical question. He said, am I, am I God? Why, why are you afraid of me? And the idea is this. It's, it's God's job to pay, not mine. My job to forgive. Vengeance is his. If he wants to do that, that's his job. My job is to release. With a New Testament kind of grid vernacular, we would say, well, Jesus has released me from my sins, so I, I forgive you of yours. Because, because for me not to do that is hi hypocritical, right? And in the Genesis 25 to 50 of our lives, there's gonna be a lot of things we, we release, right? It's, it's, it's a life of, of forgiving people, of being forgiven and forgiving people. And when we do not, when we withhold forgiveness, Understand this, you're answering his question, am I in the place of God? You're saying, I am, in, I am God because I, pay, I, want, I want payment. And then we wouldn't say that, but that's what we're saying. And when we say, well, I'm not gonna forgive until they fill in the blank. What you're saying is, that's my form of payment. That's how I get where I need, what I need. And he said, that's not, that's, that's not, that's not us, right? I'm not God. It's not my job. My job is release. I heard it illustrated this way this week and it, it made sense to me. I often get emails, tons of emails. Hey, what about this? And can you do this? And, and most of those emails really have nothing to do with kind of my little box that I deal with. And so what I do is I'll forward it. Send it off to Clint. Send it off to Gardner. Send that off to, you know, Greg, whoever. Right? And usually I get a little response. Got it. No problem. Took care of it. See, the moment I get that got it, I've moved that little issue out of my world and I don't think about it anymore. I've released that. I don't, I don't wake up at night thinking about it. I'm not worried about it because they got it. And what God is asking us to do when people, whatever it is, harm us, hurt us, is to send that out and say, that's God's. You release. Why? 
because of what Jesus has done for you. We've looked at this. We talked about this. It's a reminder. We need to be reminded. It's constant throughout the scripture, right? And so if you have, look, if you're struggling with your past, first of all, we have some resources. We have a book that we recommend called Putting Your Past in Its Place that we have a couple copies in the library. Be a great book resource for some of y'all. But if you, if there's, there's that person that you still haven't released, this, this is what, this is what your life is about. This is what the gospel does. It says, I release because I've been released. It's an important part of what's going on, right? All right, so that's the first thing. Let's continue, verse 20. Here's our key verse. As for you, he says, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about the many people should be kept alive as they are today. So don't fear. I will provide for you and your little ones as he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. So here's our key idea we've been working through. You meant it for evil. Was it evil? Yes. Did you intend to harm me? Absolutely. Yet, God meant it for good. How is that possible? That is the question, right? And what you have here is is the tension between two ideas that the scripture teaches that don't seem to make sense and can't overlap, but we got to embrace them both. And here's the two ideas. Human responsibility, God's sovereignty. And I'm not saying I'm going to solve that for you today. You can go argue with a young 22-year-old Calvinist who's been reading John Piper and argue all day long about this with them. Go ahead. But the idea is, does the scripture teach that your choices matter? Yes. Does the scripture teach that God is completely sovereign over all things and he can take even things that are contrary to his nature and bring good? Yes. How do those two overlap? I have no clue. But since the Bible teaches them, we gotta learn to embrace this tension. That there's gonna be things that people do to you and that you do, that there's consequences, but in the same moment, God is sovereign and he is good and he can work all these things out for good. We, we gotta learn to live in that. Right? And it, it's a challenge because we, what we typically do is we, we go to one side or the other too much. Well, God is sovereign, so I don't do anything. I just kind of stand there and let him do his thing and I'm just a chess piece moved around. Right? It's fatalistic, my prayers don't matter, it doesn't matter if I share my faith with someone because God is sovereign, so I just sit here. That's one mistake. The other mistake is, well, if God was in control, this wouldn't happen, and if I only did this, 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 and this, I can blame this person for this, so everything, I'm the captain of my own fate. And both are, are extremes that we don't wanna go to. What we wanna do is embrace the fact that God is good, he is sovereign, he is in control of COVID and anything else that happens, Right? But there are still real, real choices that we make and consequences and decisions we make that impact us. And God is not causing Joseph's brothers. He's not p- making them sin. He's not making them sell them. He's not making them lie. But yet he's going to use something that is even contrary to his nature to bring about the salvation of an entire nation. How does that work? I have no clue. But I believe it because the scripture teaches it. And we need to learn to, to embrace the tension. It actually is, is a proof that the scripture is real is that there's this tension because if you were writing this and trying to deceive people, you wouldn't bring this tension. It's too complicated. It's too beyond us. And if you could understand it, you would be God. So what we do is we say, the secret things belong to God. God, you teach this. God, you teach this. I embrace them both. And that's where we land. And that doesn't work for you. If you're an engineer, I get it. But if you're a PE major, you're like, okay, that's good. I get it. Right? I get it. And this is why we go to Romans 8, 28. This is why this verse is so powerful for us. It is not meant to be used when you walk into the hospital room and you just flippantly say, well, we know God calls us all things we're together good. This is dumb. Because what you're saying to someone is you're asking them to trust God in a way that you've never probably done. Right? 
Now, Paul writes this, he has suffered, he has struggled, and he is saying this. He's not saying, he didn't say that all things are good, did he? He didn't say all things are good. He said all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called. He says God can take COVID and God can take jail for Joseph and God can take selling and somehow he can bring about his sovereign plan and those choices matter, but so does God's sovereignty. And he says you can trust that. You can embrace that tension because God is good. And there's a, there's a, there's a current in the Southern church where it's, that's not what I signed up for. I thought I, if I did my quiet time and I went to church, this is my Southern accent, all right? I went to church and I was nice and I did all these things, then God will come through. So I was pure in college. That means I should marry a doctor, right? And I should be rich. And I, and I mean, I don't mean real rich, but I mean just like nice, you know, comfortable. And I did all these things so I should be healthy, and, 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 we, and we don't say that, but that's what we think because I did my part. That's what I signed on the deal. And God's saying, that we, we just, that's not really what we're doing here. He says, yeah, I work all things for good. But he also says, those who he foreknow, he predestined not to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, to be conformed to his image. He says, I am in the process of making you like my son. And if I need COVID to do it, then I'll do it. If I need jail, Joseph, I'll do it. I am making you like my son so that at the end, I can... Can glorify, I can share my glory with you so that you can have a right standing with me. Your greatest need is not to be rich or healthy. Your greatest need is to be in the presence of God. And so God is gonna bring things in our lives that will bring intimacy and, and so that you don't worship stuff, so that you worship him. That's not popular, right? But that is what he does. And so that you will lean in and trust him in those moments. That's what we've been seeing, and that's, that's, that's not, that doesn't sell a lot of tickets, but that's what God's doing. And so wherever you're at, you have to, you, I need a God that, that, that can put this mess back together and fix it in the end. That's what I need. I need that hope, and that is this God who says, I know you didn't choose seven years of famine. I know you didn't choose jail. I know you didn't choose this, but I am doing it for good. And you may not see the good until the end, but he says, I promise you, I am working all things for good. And he's asking you to lean in and trust him in that. And that's, that's a big lesson for our lives. It's a hard lesson, but it's a big one. Walk in forgiveness and live in that tension. And then it closes with this, verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children on the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. So he sees his grandbabies and his great-grandbabies. Good long life. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin. So he makes him promise, don't leave me here when y'all leave. You take my mummy and you take my mummy with you. And sure enough, 300 years later when they leave, they take his mummy back to the land. And actually this statement by Joseph gets himself in the hall of fame of faith. About all he did this is the verse that the writer to Hebrews says, by faith, Joseph made this promise, boom, that they were gonna carry his bones. Why? Because he believed God would take them back to the land. But that's how the book ends. And if you, really, that's, 
as I was thinking about this week, that is, that's an anticlimactic ending. I mean, he's just, okay, Joseph's the mummy, the end. Where's all, all these kind of promises that have been made and they're not fulfilled. And if you turn the page, you know, the very next thing, the Pharaoh, verse eight, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and he enslaves the people. I mean, the, all these promises are unfulfilled and it doesn't get better, it actually gets worse. Right? This Pharaoh doesn't care about what Joseph did for Egypt and the fact that he saved them. He enslaves the people of Israel. They start killing the people of Israel. You think, wait a minute, where's all these promises? What? They gotta wait. They're not, they're not fulfilled yet. And, and as the book ends, I was thinking about the chapter 20 to 5 to 50 of our life and, and the promises that God has made to us and to them. And here's the last idea that, that we kind of gotta come to grips with. And it's one that, it's significant and it's, the worst of them all. And it's the principle of we, we wait. Sometimes we, we wait. And who hates waiting? Everyone hates waiting. I hate waiting. I hate waiting so much. I get to the end. I've told you before. I get to the end of Truman. And the, the worst light possibly in the United States of America is right there. And you cannot turn left. And it takes you 30 minutes to wait. And so what do you do? You turn right. You do a quick U-turn. And you turn left. That's how you fix it. But, but waiting... No one likes to wait. And, and it's okay to wait when you, have, uh, when you have an end date in mind. So if you're like, oh, I get to go on vacation in two weeks, I can wait for that because I know the end. Right, that's an easy waiting when I know I have two weeks. The hard kind of waiting is the open-ended when you're expecting but you don't know. So for my birthday, my parents usually send me money, my in-laws send me money, so I bought myself some of those AirPods that I'm too cheap to buy if I don't have someone else's money. So I bought them on Amazon. This is the middle of covid so it's not a two-day thing, but I'm, I order these things and get on the tracking. It says it'll be there Wednesday at 4 p.m. I'm like, yes, Wednesday, open the box. Nothing. I'm like, huh. It says, get back online on the tracking. It says, it'll be here Thursday at four o'clock. I'm like, yes, okay, one day. Open that thing on Thursday. Nothing. I go back. It says, oh, it'll be there Friday by four o'clock. I'm like, all right, fine. Friday, I open that box, nothing. I get back online, it says, Houston, we have a problem. We've lost your airplane. We don't know where they are. If they don't get here by Saturday, call us. So Saturday, I open that box, nothing. I call and cancel. I say, we can reorder them for you. No, because I hate waiting, so I went to Best Buy and bought them, which I should have done in the first place. But what's the point? When there's a open-ended waiting, when you're like, it's, you're like, man, but see, that's, that's, that's the Christian life. When are you gonna answer my prayer? I don't know. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the next week. When am I gonna feel better? I don't know. When am I gonna get married? I, I don't know. And ultimately, the big thing that Christians have been waiting for for 2,000 years, there's really one promise that's left. There's, only, there's one big promise that is out there that has not been fulfilled, just like Israel getting the land. They do get the land. But there's one for the church that hasn't been fulfilled. What is that one promise? That Jesus will return. That's the big promise, that one day Jesus will return. And here's what Jesus says at the end of the Bible. He's speaking to John, it's 90 AD. He says this, surely I am coming soon. Now, apparently me and Jesus have a different definition of what soon means, because 2,000 years is not soon. Soon is like, I'll be done soon, preaching. 2,000 years is a long time. But the idea is, that we are a waiting people and that we are going to the mailbox every day. Could be today. 
oh, it's not today. Could be tomorrow. Oh, it's not tomorrow. But we are waiting and we are ready. This is, the, this is the New Testament teaches, that we are to be an expectant and we are to be a ready people. So, so John says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Paul says at the end of Corinthians, even so come Lord Jesus, Maranatha Lord. Peter says this, since all these things are to be dissolved, he's talking about the end of the world, since everything's gonna be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in holiness and godliness? Waiting, we're hastening, we're looking, we're, wait, we're going to the box every day. Not today, okay, could be tomorrow. If you knew that Jesus was gonna come on Thursday afternoon at three, what would be different? And that's the point. If anything, you're like, well, I'm not waiting well. I'm not ready. And this is the idea that the scripture teaches. We gotta be ready, whatever that means. You gotta be ready. We're expectant. Because it may be today, and I know when you, talk, when you talk about the return of Jesus, you get all, you know, left behind series and, and Nikolai Carpathia and, and whatever, and we kind of laugh, but Peter says that, that people will always say, everybody's been talking about the coming of Jesus. Where is the promise of his coming? But then he highlights the only reason God has not returned is because he is gracious and he wants more people to come to faith. That's why. He's patient with us, not wishing any to perish, but of all to come to repentance. That's the point. That's why he hasn't returned. And so we wait and we trust at that moment that he will wipe away every tear. And the fact that he says he wipes away, away every tears implies there's gonna be tear. Because one day, he's gonna come. It's waiting. And I, I know that waiting is hard for some of y'all. It's hard for me. But one day, Jesus will return and the sky will open and the trump will sound and the Lord will descend and we will be with the Lord forever. And he says, comfort one another with these words. That's, that's where they leave off Genesis 50. That's our lives, right? That's what this text has been. Promise to Abraham, not fulfilled. Promise to Isaac, not fulfilled. Promise. A lot of waiting, a lot of waiting in our life. But be encouraged, God will do everything he says. So we walk in forgiveness. We embrace the tension of God is sovereign, but there's, there's struggles. We live in a broken world, but we wait. We wait for him to fulfill what he said. And we're ready. But we don't wanna, as, as John says, we don't wanna shrink away from it. It's coming, we have confidence. How do we have confidence? Because we put our faith in him. We've trusted in what he has done. No shame, no guilt, no fear. We wait with expectation. Let me pray and we'll just sing and respond and think a little bit. And again, like we said earlier, if, if this has been a tough season for you and you need something, you need prayer, you need uh, just someone to talk to, talk to someone after first service, they had lost their job um, and layoff. And, and so if that's you, uh, come talk. You know, there's a, there's a desk out there in the, in the hallway. We'd love to pray for you any way we can. Uh, care for you, meet any needs. Let me pray and we'll, and we'll sing. Father, I just pray for our time and your response. And as we go, that we just in a time and a season where things are challenging, um, that we would be expectant that tomorrow could be the day you return or it could be in a thousand years, but we are ready for you. That we would believe in the goodness and sovereign control, even in those things which we would never choose, but that are meant for our good. And that we would walk in the forgiveness you've offered us, but also we would give the forgiveness that we've offered, been offered. It's in Christ's name I pray.